0: I think just because, like, I had, you know, I was feeling some, whatever, t- like, I was tired. I just said goodbye to friends. And I was also, like, you know, 18 and experiencing the world. <laughs> <I was> finding a <laughs> Finding myself.
1: <laughs> Hello. And welcome to Bosom. This is a podcast where I want to find out how women, non-binary and gender non-conforming people have influenced and shaped our thoughts and lives. In a world where women's contributions are often disregarded, I want to learn more about how and how much they've impacted the people we are and the society we live in. To do this, I'm talking to guests about how people of marginalised genders have influenced their lives, identities and understanding of the world. Today I have my friend Hannah Churchill with me. She is from Brighton, the sunny seaside town. She is extraordinarily talented in basically everything she does. She's insanely clever and a phenomenal actor and writer and also has the best collection of coats I've ever met. I've ever met. (laughs) I have loved to meet your collection of coats. (laughs) Hello Hannah.
0: Hi Liz. (laughs) Thanks for that. Thanks so much. For coming on my my podcast thank you for having me it's great great to be here virtually
1: virtually mm. it's almost as good as really <laughs> you have been unfortunately for you the sounding board and basically victim of listening to the ideas about this podcast for about three years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you so know it's only fair like you are my first real guest.
0: Oh, it's such a pleasure. Such, a, Yeah, great to be here. I was thinking about that, like, when we first... Um, when you first said, like, oh, I've got this idea, and we were, like, sitting in that cafe in Paris outside waiting for oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, what a world away that feels.
1: How far we've come. I know. That we're now both living at home with our parents. <laughs> <laughs> so the premise yeah. of this podcast is that... I have asked you mm-hmm. to pick five people who have somehow influenced you or shaped your life and they come from five categories and the categories are a fictional character, yeah. your childhood or teenage icon, somebody you know personally, mm-hmm. somebody you've never met and somebody who is no longer alive. Yeah, And obviously there are... Kind of hundreds of people that could fit into all these into all these categories in different places. Yeah. But what is nice about it is that, is thinking about it is like a, a fluid, temporary thing. And thinking about the person that you are at the moment and how certain figures have come to make that, to yeah. make the Hannah Churchill that is <laughs> sitting before me. Because I really like this idea of that it takes a village to raise a child, mm, and actually yeah. that carries on through your life. Yeah. Uh, actually, as you grow, as you grow, there are like different parties that influence and kind of shape and mould you.
0: No, definitely as well, because I was thinking about like trying to remember who I'd picked when we first spoke about it. I think I've written it down somewhere, but I couldn't find it. Well, it didn't look very hard. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely changed. I love the, uh, yeah, the fluidness is, I think, is important because I find the committing to like five so hard definitely going to cry at some point in this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, I'll stop
0: wittering. You can listen to your wittering all day, but uh, yeah, whatever the podcast needs.
1: So the first person I want to talk about
0: Mm.
1: is your teenage or childhood icon.
0: Yeah.
1: And who is that? So...
0: I feel a bit lame for this choice.
1: (laughs) You could never be lame.
0: Okay. Well, um, Avril Lavigne was a really close... Like, it came really close to it being Avril Lavigne. But I felt Mm. like that was, like, a quite early teenage icon of mine. Like, I don't know, I was trying to remember and it it all felt a bit, like, hazy. I couldn't remember, like, who I was listening to. So I chose instead Kay Tempest, who is a poet... And a writer and a sort of rapper and a spoken word artist, I guess. I don't know if they'd describe themselves as a spoken word artist. But um, I first heard of or, like, was introduced to Kate Invest in my AS year, I think, or maybe Mm. A-level year, when I studied their anthology Hold Your Own for... Oh, nice. Yeah, for coursework, I think, which was quite cool. Like, I think that was quite a... That is really cool. yeah. yeah. I had a really cool A-level English teacher who, I guess, just thought that we would benefit from studying K No one else had done that before because she had to ask permission for it to be used. She had to ask permission from the exam board.
1: That's amazing. That's such thoughtful teaching.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. God bless. What do you think your love of K
1: Tempest says about Hannah Churchill at 17 or 16 whenever you were doing it?
0: That's... I hadn't really thought, I guess, about that. Um, I mean, I think, like... I think it says a lot that I still love. Like, Mm. that's my... I think that's my favourite book. Like, that's, like, my Desert Island Disc book. And I don't feel like I even know that much about poetry or, like... But there's something about their words and, like... So I've just finished a literature degree. And I think I've always had this thing of feeling like I wasn't really... smart enough to sort of mm. or hadn't ever read enough to be someone who could read difficult books or like understand the world in that way. And I don't know why that was such a thing for me, but I think it was like <laughs> something I took with me. And then I think when we did Kate Temper's poetry I'd never really thought about words in that way. They were talking about such clever you know, using my seventeen year old brain, like clever yeah. concepts and things that I had never mm. thought about before, or things that I had thought about before, but had never had the language to kind of describe or like that I thought no one else thought about, or... And it was that kind of feeling of seeing... Not necessarily seeing yourself in literature, but, like, I don't know.
1: Feeling like you've got someone who's voicing... Yeah. Who's articulating what you're
0: feeling. Exactly, exactly. And I think, like, I kind of, like, something clicked a bit, and I got it. And then I think, you know, the reason they're an icon is, like... I think I was just obsessed by the idea of their talent because mm. they also, they're a playwright and they write these like huge epic poems and mm. then they perform them and they're so captivating and like charismatic and they're also a musician and I had this, exci- I went to see them that year in Brighton um, just when they were start like first starting to perform music. Mm. And it was mainly a poetry set, and there were some songs at the end, and they were kind of like this is work in progress. And then I think a year or two later, I saw them again when they had curated the Brighton Festival and did a huge sort of epic music set. And like the change that you know the development, like in a whole (laughs) of a whole (laughs) art form, in two years on this like huge album, was just a bit staggering. Like the idea that you know someone can do that, like put their mind to something like that, and. They also, you know, they're doing all those things and at the same time, like, throughout everything that they do, there's this, like, huge sort of tenderness, softness, I guess vulnerability, that when I was 17, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, that's, like, (laughs) you can be all of those things. (laughs) It sounds quite pretentious, but I think I was just like, wow, it's, I don't, um... I had never really understood like that, the way people spoke about books and literature or music, really, in a funny way. Mm. Um, And they just seemed to be able to do that and be quite um, authentic, for want of a better word. And they've continued to be authentic and political as well at the same time, you know, Mm. like all the things that they were saying had a political basis in a way, but without any judgment, it was all, you know, their work is always about tenderness and empathy for everyone. Um, Mm. Going back to what you
1: you said earlier, the thing of watching somebody, you seeing Kate and then watching them two years later and being able to watch that change. Yeah. I think that's a really amazing thing for a teenager. Mm. So without sounding patronising to teenagers, but I think when you're, definitely when I was a teenager, you would look up at adults and be like that is a fully formed person yeah they're just this block of good or not even good just like that is them and they're now 20 and so they are big grown-ups yeah but actually being able to recognize that somebody can develop like being a teenager and watching an adult develop Mm, yeah I think that shows so much about you I don't know you must have been a very empathetic sensitive teenager much nicer than I was
0: oh I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: I don't know do you think that but watching someone develop like that had any I don't know do you think you ever thought that changed your perception of like adulthood or seeing a, an adult go through development
0: I wonder if it did I think like it was I don't know if I thought about it in that way at the time yeah but maybe it went into my brain without realizing it modeled something about creating things and like that taking time but being doable I don't know I guess I you know I saw them being someone who was out there doing it Um, and I don't think I've learned from that really like I don't think I've actioned that in my life and maybe that's why it's still important
1: probably don't actually think it's not a conscious like a conscious thing to think okay I've seen an adult change so that means I can change as as an adult but I wonder just like hearing that you now you like bring that back as something Mm. that you appreciated about them now I don't know it's quite like a hopeful thing
0: yeah I definitely think it, it it is hopeful I think that yeah that's exactly right it makes me think of the way that my dad like speaks about some musicians that he loves seeing them creating things and being like wow that's just incredible and I never really got that yeah I was kind of like okay fine it's a good tune whatever Um, (laughs) seeing the creative process There's something in that. And I just... I don't know. I think that there's something in the fact that this was someone that I kind of fell in love with at 17. And I do, like, love, like, everything they do. (laughs) Even though it's all really different. Um, And I still love now. Some of the feelings are nostalgia. But I can come back to Hold Your Own, that anthology, and read it with my 23-year-old brain and get different things from it. I just had to get... I had to get them in there somehow. But... Avril Lavigne, I love you too. <laughs> Avril Lavigne, if you're listening. If you're listening. <laughs> don't be hurt. <laughs>
1: okay, the next category of people mm-hmm. we're moving on to is a fictional character mm-hmm. that has somehow influenced you. Okay, And you've gone for Juno? I've gone for Juno. As in Juno from the film Juno?
0: Juno from the film Juno. I should have looked it up. I don't know when that was released or... I don't know who directed it, actually. It was was
1: quite a long time ago because when I was 11, Mm. we drove to France on a family holiday once and we only had one CD in the car and it was the Juno soundtrack. Oh,
0: such a good soundtrack, yeah.
1: So it's at least, like, 13 years old. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I really struggled doing this. The... Mm fictional character one because I wanted it to be some excellent, I don't know, warrior woman that you couldn't get in real life. But I I was trying to think about the things that I love, reading or watching and like a lot of them, I probably don't like the characters in them that much. (laughs) Which probably says something about me. In my head when I was choosing these, I was like, this is me sitting down for dinner with all these people. Which isn't the premise but like I was kind of... I think it's quite a good premise. Yeah, that's kind of what was in my head. I guess June, like... Juno did also influence me. I mean, it's just like one of my favourite comfort films, I think. Like I had it on my iPod classic, (laughs) which I took travelling with me. And I watched it once taking a bus from Wellington to Auckland on my own and like cried on on this bus (laughs) watching the film. I think just because like I had, you know, I was feeling some whatever, like I was tired, just said goodbye to friends. And I was also like, you know... 18 and experiencing the world. <laughs> finding yourself. Finding myself on this bus. She's such a cool So cool. character. So, like, outspoken and excellent and, like, what I still think now of as cool. And I thought she was cool at the time. Yeah, and just iconic. The hamburger phone, like, the way she speaks. <laughs> it changes so much, that yeah. film, from watching it. Watching it when
1: you're 11 mm. and watching it when you're 23 mm. is... It's such a different experience. Because when you're 11, you're like, oh, she's 16. She's so yeah. cool. <laughs> and then when you're 23, you're like, oh, she's 16. Yeah. She's so cool.
0: But there was definitely a point when I was, you know, maybe like 15, 16, that I was like, I, shit, I'm not as cool as... Oh, I, didn't mean to <laughs> I am not as cool as her. Like, I the portrayal of sex in it as well. I was yeah. like, d- I simply could not understand Sort of her and Polly's relationship, like how in control she is of everything. Seemingly, in hindsight, more relatable than a lot of the stuff that you watch as a teenager about sex. But that was why it was so like alienating—not alienating, but like alien. <laughs> like I was just like, "Yeah, <laughs> what is going on here?" And like, I guess the the fee, like her her female friendship and those things and the way that she interacts with people at school and like I think every teenager feels like that regardless of whether
1: they're star or film yeah
0: exactly yeah there's also a moment that I've remembered of her putting her skirt on over her jeans and it's a maternity like skirt because she's like really heavily pregnant at that point and I just like don't know why that's lodged in my brain but I remember being like that is so cool like (laughs) Like how does she make that look? And she like drives. The, she like drives the people carrier and just like, yeah. She just seemed to. She seemed to get get it.
1: Yeah, the people. The people carrier. Yeah. Thing, that I think that's what got me when I was younger. I was like, what? Like when actually, I mean, it's actually quite uncool. It's, yeah, not yeah. uncool, but it's not like a cool thing to be driving. If I've been. Think- <laughs> Driving a people carrier when I was 17, I would have looked like an absolute loser. (laughs) But she's like... But also, I guess so
0: much of it is so not... You know, it's not like euphoria. She's like, lives in suburbia. She drives this funny people carrier. Her, like, family is like, you know, slightly dysfunctional but very loving. Her boyfriend is on and off and, like, not really very cool but very sweet. All these kind of... It's not like an adult's idea of kind of being a teenager. It's all these mundane bits. But because you get it through Mm. her view and all the things she values and you get, like, how she feels about things. And just even, like, the way they talk about prom, that she had this idea of what her best kind of prom would be and it was really different from other people's and just, like, there was something so, not magical, but it kind of is because you get that, like, all those hopeful feelings. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna have to rewatch oh.
1: that now. The next person you've chosen is somebody that you haven't met. I don't know a lot about this person. So I'm just going to hand over to you.
0: Oh, Fran. Um So this was, again, like really hard to choose this one. And I think the way I chose it was, again, like, you know, I was thinking about my dinner table. I had, I thought about several people. But Fran Leibwitz is just the biggest legend in the world. She is part of the kind of East Village like new york 80s artists that were part of that whole scene which is like what new york was and you know what what it will never be mm. again and like what couldn't have happened anywhere else and she is like this gay jewish legend who's a, and she's a writer at uni i sort of was reading more like chris Carlson coming into contact with the kind of people of that scene and never really like understanding it, I guess. Or also thinking that like I didn't have a <laughs> a claim to a piece of that pie. Like it is like the cool one of the most cool periods in history oh, yeah. ever. And also like deeply romanticized and, you know, pretty grim to have lived there and tried to get through as yeah. an artist in the East Village and really awful things were happening. But I guess like there's something about fran which i feel like i do have a claim to and it's probably just because i see her being this sort of brash acerbic excellent jewish woman who i recognize like parts of in my i guess in my family but in in lots of ways like she's so you know Mm. so american And, like, she did, I think she, you know, she says I'm culturally Jewish, which is what I can relate to. But the way she speaks and the way she shouts everything she says um, and all those things, like, yeah, I felt like there's a relation Mm. to her. Or an awe of her that makes me feel like, yeah, I'm a pure fan Um, (laughs) of this. I I feel like that got got a bit convoluted. So Fran is a writer um, and, like a sort of speaker and was just is just friends with all these people you know was i think worked with Tony Morrison that's how they know each other i think Tony Morrison was friends editor oh wow and she wears jeans she has exclusively jeans and blazers and cowboy boots and just is has this iconic black bob and has something to say about everything and is completely unabashed about her opinions and kind of has a right to be because she's so smart. But mm. um, there is no apologies, and she's like a true through and through New Yorker, rude and owning owns her space and just like so quick witted and hilarious, all things that like my kind of. <laughs> british self could do with more of i'm sure i watched the
1: beginning of that
0: the netflix special
1: the net yeah the martin
0: scorsese yeah.
1: thing and there's yeah. that opening bit and she's talking about um like when people are like do you find it annoying when people and she's like yes
0: yeah <laughs> yeah she's i just like i don't know if i want to be her if i want to be if she, i want her to be my mentor like if i want to marry her all of these things in one but there's another one that honor sent me of like um a, like a clip from that special because I'm only like on episode three I think I can't she's being interviewed by a talk show host and he says so do you do you suffer from and he said it up so it makes sense that he's gonna ask her like I can't remember what she says she's like I'm a bad sleeper or whatever and he, he's like so do you suffer from but he breaks before he says from and so he just says do you suffer and she says yes <laughs> <laughs> and when I was like this is you and I was like yeah <laughs> this, this is me <laughs>
1: And the only thing I'd written down on my notes for this yeah. under Fran was coats. Coats, yeah. Coats. Best Guardian article about yeah. her all her coats.
0: Yeah, just the look. is so iconic. And you I love it because you can see it in the specials that she you know, has been dressing like this since the eighties. And it has continually just like <laughs> chef's kiss, iconic. Like the tailoring, I just i just wish to be as iconic as as her the cowboy boots the coats discerning stare i i don't think i'd actually want to meet her i think it'd be too terrifying i mm. would just like shrivel <laughs> which is iconically um ironically sorry you know like exactly what she would hate i'm sure yeah <laughs> i just love like i don't know so brashly like so neurotic but so unapologetic about it and so well-dressed Ugh. she's everything She's everything. She is everything. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I thought of talking about your last two people together.
0: Yeah, I think we should do that.
1: So the last two categories are somebody who's no longer alive and somebody that you know personally. Mm-hmm. And you have gone for your grandma and yeah. your mum.
0: So my grandma, who is my mum's mum. You know, for the question of, like, someone who you know, because we spoke briefly over, we like, well, everyone, you know, I guess could have a maternal figure. Maybe that should be an extra section yeah. or whatever. And I was sort of thinking, like, there are so many of, like, the women who I know and love that I could have chosen. And, you know, you were on that list and... Just so many of my female friends who have probably had the biggest influence on me in in my life in some ways from all different areas of my life and all different ages. And, you know, I could talk about that probably for hours and hours, but Mm. it's uh, yeah, it's got to be my mum, Esther Polden. The legend that is. <laughs> and because I think I came to it also as thinking of the dinner table and I was like, you know, who would I want to speak to and have time with? And it would be my grandma. And then I was like, if I have her, I can't not have my mum there. Yeah, so that would be rude. She would be so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> so my grandma, Margie Polden, was a natal physiotherapist. Um, oh, wow. So she worked with mothers and babies. But, you know, in like the 60s which was a bit radical yeah in my grandpa's house there's all her, there's like her books and so many books about giving birth there's one room which like I sleep in which used to be my mom's room which has all the her medical books <laughs> like so graphic <laughs> <laughs> like I have yeah memories of being little I'm just like all the titles on the spines being like what is this thing <laughs> But she was just, I think, the most, like, incredible kind of matriarch. My mum's side is this, like, huge, chaotic, sprawling Jewish family. And she was, like, the centre of that for a long time. And she kept everyone together. Her parents were Polish and moved over quite early in the, in the late 20s to South London, to Selhurst. And her dad was pretty incredible, trained to be a doctor. He'd learned English while he was training. Oh, my God. Sort of, he didn't necessarily, I I feel like I need to double check that. But then, so, you know, trained in England, then moved back and then brought his wife. And then just my grandma's big brother. And then my grandma and her little brother were born in England. You know, and there's some awful traumatic history there. But she just came out of that and had such an extraordinary life. Mm was this big family from the start. And there are photos of her dressing up for, like, Purim or for... She did kind of amateur dramatics and just the photos of her doing that. Yeah, it's so great. instead of heavy eyeliner. And she would dance around the kitchen and she would always be in her underwear, always too hot, you know, all the time. And people would come to the door and she would just be sort of walking around in her underwear. And I think, you know, she's influenced me through the sort of family
1: yeah. sphere
0: and the way we relate to each other. And she does feel like such an important point of reference in a weird way.
1: It's really important, that figure who sits... Yeah. So many families have that, to kind of... Yeah. Not necessarily always the grandmother, but it's kind of often like, yeah, the grandmother definitely. who kind of sits at the centre. And, and even if you're, say, like, oh, I'm not, you're not, like, influenced in terms of... I know mean, you don't necessarily have their exact thoughts or their exact... Mm. I don't know, you don't copy the way they dress there's just that very fundamental connection which you ne- can't necessarily articulate how it affects you.
0: Totally. But it does. And values, I think, like... I mean, I'll come to that because I think that's how it you know, works with my mum as well. But, like, I do feel like there are very foundational values that I feel like that's where they came from, Um, mm. you know, that level. And, but my mum told us the other day that when she was a bit younger than me, my grandma, when she was, like, 19 maybe, she went to a kibbutz in Israel and wasn't going to come back she was like yes I have found my place I live here now and her parents had to go but out there and bring her home because I guess they were like this isn't a suitable (laughs) option for our daughter but she was you know had a love of life and exploring I guess yeah and she so she died when I was two and a, a half maybe but my sister was born in their house, and I was born in the house that we had at the time in Dollis Hill. And my parents were both working, and so we would, you know, looked after by their by our grandparents, which was by her. And she used to teach her classes in the like hallway of their house. And it was me, you know, me and my cousins were always there. I think, mm. and um she used to use me or because I was the smallest one. I guess me or Matty maybe. As the kind of doll in the classes. Oh. Um, yeah, and I think, like, I don't know if this is because my, <laughs> the way my mum's a counsellor, kind of therapist, but I think that period in your life before you're two, before you can speak, maybe, um, mm. is really formative. And that, those feelings of being held and safe. Yeah. There's definitely things I associate with her and with that house and with my grandpa. And I think a lot of the women in my family would say the same. So Margie Polden. With my mum, those things all go through her. Yeah. You know, I can see the ways that she has been influenced by her mum and then how I've been influenced by her. Um, And that's kind of such a... Like, such... It sounds so kind of, (laughs) like, negative, but such a way of appreciating the things that you don't necessarily... (sighs) Or, like, that as a young person I didn't necessarily love. And just a really silly, kind of, superficial example of that is, like, I remember, like, kind of looking at my body when I was, like, 16 and I think feeling a bit grossed out by it. Mm. Particularly, I felt like I had big legs and hips and... Then I remember seeing a photo of my mum on the beach and she's lying on her side and I was like, those are mine, those are yeah. my hips. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. And then a similar thing happened when we were watching home movies or maybe we were just looking at photos and I saw a photo of my grandma and I was like, oh my God, I look so much, that's what my body looks like. And, and I kind of, it gave, there was some sort of permission in that to just be like...
1: When you see something and somebody... Mm-hmm that you love, or even someone you didn't know very well, like your grandma. I think that's such a nice way of talking about it. Like, it gives you a permission. Yeah. Because that's someone amazing, and they've got what I've got. But I don't like it, but they've got it, but I love them. So that must Yeah, totally. It's a bit like with Juno.
0: Yeah. When you (laughs) see
1: those things, she's got kind of a weird life. And she drives an ugly car, and she is pregnant when she's 16, if you did that all you'd be like oh my god this i mean not everybody but lots of mm. people would be like so annoying but then you see it on somebody that you that you admire or you love yeah and it kind of
0: legitimizes it yeah
1: allows you to have these i don't love this phrase but like to love your flaws or like <laughs> yeah to kind of appreciate how <laughs> those things make you up and they also make up other people
0: yeah, totally And I think there's a big part of the the stuff I was talking about about Fran, the Jewishness and the sometimes, I think, neurotic energy. I guess it's something I kind of love because I'm like, well, Mm. I know where that comes from. And it's this lineage of incredible women (laughs) who were kind of happy to go against the grain and, you know, take up space, I guess.
1: What were you going to say before about your mum and her, like, values and things?
0: I think there are there are things about how you treat people or how you what being a kind of person and a human means and all, I think the answers are found in my mum and my grandma are in like community and supporting people and looking for where you can help, um, and looking for who needs help and I guess just looking around you rather than being inside your head. And those things being what, what's sort of grounding or fi- foundational in your daily life. Um, and I think that's something my mum does as well. I Yeah, I can see the way that runs from my grandma into my mum and something I hope that I take with me sometimes. But a lot of the time mm. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think it's something I admire in them. Um, and hopefully can, can, you know, learn how to do.
1: I think it's often an age thing maybe it's an I'm just going to excuse us both here (laughs) I think as you grow and you start to have more people that your relationship is really vital to them then that's when you start to potentially (laughs) be a bit more um, caring
0: I think you're very caring I don't know what you're talking about I mean I don't think I'm not caring you know some people do have that as an imperative if that's how you do that is what and I think yeah my I mean Everyone thinks their mum is a legend. (laughs) Um, I mean, not everyone, but, like, you know, lots of people do. But we do... My siblings and I do just owe so much to my mum. And she is just so kind and funny and is the kind of glue. Mm. And she does so much um, and really sought to understand us and to speak to us like we should have opinions yeah I mean ask me again in two hours I have been living (laughs) in my parents house for (laughs) nine months and I do not approach every day like this it's nice to have a moment where you do (laughs) good to practice gratitude Um, I should probably say that those things to her (laughs) she'd probably say (laughs) shut up and make dinner but um which would be you know well deserved but um yeah it's so lovely it's such a lovely practice thinking about how people have influenced you yeah Definitely feel very grateful for the women, for the women in my life, <laughs> women in my life. Yeah. <laughs> it can be a bit. um I think there's potential
1: for it to be like a bit romanticising.
0: Totally, I'm can be so gushy and like so leaning into schmaltz. Mm. I don't think you've been schmaltzy. Thanks, Liz
1: <laughs> I think you've been a joy, and oh, I found it joyful. I glad you've enjoyed reflecting on these people because I've loved Me listening to you reflect on these people and talking to you about it oh. and thank you so much for being my first real virtual guest
0: it was my pleasure always my pleasure can't wait to see where bosom goes next <laughs> where then. will she go nobody knows <laughs> <does. laughs> thanks so
1: much to hannah who made my first zoom interview a joy Thanks also to Ali Shilson, who wrote and recorded the beautiful music you can hear throughout. I hope you enjoyed listening and that you'll think about coming back for more.